Hands of My Podcast is a proud member of Darkcast Network, presenting the brightest of indie podcasts. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo. And this is MW. And I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls to spirit, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. On the morning of July 18, 1993, Kim Wen, an autistic eight-year-old boy, vanished from his home in Garland, Texas. Eleven days later, Kim's body was found in Mesquite, Texas, which was 12 miles away from his home. This is Kim Wen's story of his disappearance and suspicious death. I would like to thank Canon Beltran, a writer and contributor for Memories of Dallas, a blogger that shares stories about the history and culture of Dallas, Texas, as well as blogging his research on Reddit, which is how I found him. He started looking at cases in 2012 and came across the story about the boy from Garland who was found in Mesquite and started digging into it more. One of Cannon's goals three years ago was hoping to get this case featured on a podcast. Well, Cannon, it's happening. Also, a thank you to MW, my co-host, true crime advocate and ghostwriter researcher. This case has remained cold for almost 30 years so far. There hasn't even been an official update since 1994. Kim Wen was born on September 22, 1984, to Sarah and Rudolph. Kim had two other siblings, Janmi, who was 10 at the time, and Michael, who was 12. The family home is surrounded by thick forest and was a first-story brown brick house on 700 block Thornhill Drive in Garland, Texas. The home was four houses away from the stop sign on Castle Road. The area is described as a small working class neighborhood. Kim was a very happy child that loved everyone. He liked to play with his brother. His favorite color was pink. Kim also loved to eat pineapple cake and his favorite cartoon character was the Pink Panther. Kim would communicate his needs by taking the hands of his caregivers and bringing him to what he needed. I will get into more information later about Kim. He had a habit of walking to the stop sign at the end of the street, which was the Castle Road location. There he liked to stim by flapping his arms and hands and watching cars. He would never leave this spot. However, that Sunday morning, Kim was roughhousing with his older brother, Michael, at around 6.30 a.m. After a short tussle, Michael, possibly becoming agitated with his brother, told Kim to go and watch cartoons. Kim then left his brother and made his way to the living room, according to his brother. About a half an hour later, around 7 a.m., Rudolph, who is also identified as Randy, the father, went to check on his son and realized he was not there at all. 
There are a few sources that say the time was around 8 o'clock a.m. 7.30 a.m. to 8.45 a.m., most newspaper reports that within 30 minutes, they called the police to help find Kim Wen. A neighborhood reported seeing the boy outside around 8.20 a.m. Unknown if this is the correct time, that doesn't match to the other, other papers and resources. Word is spread quickly in the neighborhood, and the search takes place for the boy the same day with around 50 people helping. The searches had started about four hours after the boy was reported missing, the time frame being about 11 a.m. to noon. The police, Garland's emergency corps members, friends, family, and community members joined to help. They looked around the house and into the East Dallas suburb, which is reportedly within a two-mile radius. It's reported that they had bottles of water and, photo and photocopies of Kim Wen's photo and went door-to-door, -door, but also walked in the local creek and wooded areas. The heat was described as sweltering and it slowed the searches down. It was close to 100 degrees during that day. In 2022, Cannon interviewed an unnamed relative of Kim Wen's, and they shared a bit of the interview in their write-up about the case to Reddit. Quote, I don't mind sharing, but I don't even know where to begin. I have my theories about what happened. I was asleep that morning. We had returned late that evening after going over to a family friend's house and being there so late. I was super groggy, and I woke up to the sounds of everyone panicking. My mom was screaming that she couldn't find Kim. I remember brushing it off, thinking he's probably just at the end of the street again. Michael came into the room to tell me Kim was missing and to get up and help look for him. I told him to check the end of the street, to which he said he wasn't there. Then I panicked, end quote. What transpired was a multi-day search for the boy, specifically focusing around the home. Garland police were joined by Garland Emergency Corps member and residents of the northeast section of the city of Garland. One quote-unquote hindrance in the search was that Kim was autistic and the boy's father said that Kim often refused to speak to anyone outside of his close family circle. It was also stated by a Garland police commander named Bob Barber that the boy had no friends and no hangouts, which meant that outside of said family circle, there weren't many places to search outside of the areas that they thought the boy might have been. One of the very few clues in the boy's disappearance was discovered on July 21st, just three days after Kim vanished. An unidentified Garland resident discovered Kim's shirt, the only article of clothing he was wearing at the time he disappeared, according to his parents. At a Garland power and light generating plant located just off East Walnut Street, the plant was just west of the family's home. The shirt, according to the police officials, showed no signs of foul play, such as rips or blood. However, in an interview, Garland police spokesman Larry Rowland said, quote, anything like this increases the chance of foul play, end quote. The case will go on for another six days in which the FBI would join. While it was never specified why they joined, their short explanation was that they believed the boy was out of state. This, of course, would turn out to be untrue. The only other solid lead came on July 29th when Garland police announced that they were seeking the owner of a white Chevy Blazer spotted by an unidentified female resident on the day Kim vanished. The Blazer was described as white, having two-inch silver stripes on its sides, 
tinted windows, and a trailer hitch with a chrome ball. While an exact model was never released, for reasons unknown, best guess is that it would have either been a K5 model or a S10 model. These were the only two versions manufactured before 1994. According to the unidentified witness, she said that she saw Kim at the corner of Thornhill Lane and Castle Drive, which was a few meters from the home, at around 8.20 a.m. An updated time was also released in which, according to the Garland Police, Kim's father, Rudolph, reported his son missing at around 8.30 a.m. I don't know why there was a change from 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. Unfortunately, although maybe this was from Rudolph's official statement to the police. According to Rudolph, the woman talked with him about what she saw. He stated that the woman told him that she saw the boy while she was driving along Castle Drive near the Wynn's house. After she passed Kim, she said she looked in her rearview mirror and saw the blazer slow down and turn around near the boy. Rudolph also said that the woman was distraught because she did not assist his son when she saw him standing on the corner flapping his arms as if he was flying. Garland Police Department said that they didn't release the information initially because, quote-unquote, it was an investigative lead. Monday, July 19, 93. The police and about 25 officers working on the case were still determining if another large-scale search would occur that day or if it would have turned over to the police detectives. But a search did continue starting around noon. Residents criticized the police for not doing enough to help the boy. The search intensified. The police, cadets, neighbors, and other volunteers began to comb the thick woods around the family home. Searches, search streets, yards, creeks, and the woods again, but were still waiting for leads. Search teams would comb an area and then another group would retrace. People joined the searches to help even those who didn't know the winds. Even some children, like John Jay, at the age of 13 at this time, joined the searchers who used his 10-speed bike. The temperatures on this day were as close to 100 degrees again in the afternoon. Rudolph Wen sat in the den of his home and answered questions about his son and described him to the papers. Here he sat to comfort his wife, who was mute with fear along with his son and daughter, who were also home waiting on the news. Volunteer searches ended around 5 p.m. to make way to sniffer dogs. Helicopters and equipment using body heat seeking were used in a search in the evening. By the next morning on July 20th, volunteers meet daily at 9 a.m. at DD Mailing and Fulfillment Services. This company was not currently open for business, but it served as a police command post. Volunteers were placed into groups of 10 to 20 people. Info about Kim was handed out to them, and each group gets a map of the area they were assigned to cover. Volunteers even went door-to-door -door in the area using photocopies of the boys' picture. 20 officers and 12 members of the police academy's rookie class were assigned to the case and assisted by a dozen amateur radio operators, members of the Garland Emergency Corps, and searchers worried that because of Kim's autism, he might not realize that people are looking to help him. In addition, the temperatures in the area were soaring for the third day in a row. Interestingly enough, 
At 11.30 a.m. at the Garland Power and Light Generating Plant on East Walnut Street, Kim's shirt was found one mile to one and a half miles from his home on the street's curb. A male volunteer found the item, but the police declined to reveal their name to the public. The shirt showed no signs of foul play, but the police thought it was an alarming sign. Nevertheless, Rudolph assumed it was good, since his son would take off his clothes at random or inopportune times. The hope was then Kim would be near the shirt and be found soon. Police resume searching but are now in the area of the shirt. This upsets the volunteers who had continued the searches without the police's efforts. Wednesday, July 21st, police call off their physical searches. However, volunteers continue to look in the area with a group of a hundred strong. Rudolph has been extremely grateful for the community's support. Quote, it's not enough to say thank you. After this is over, no matter what happens, I will have to do something good for these people and this country. End quote. Thursday on July 22nd, 250 people helped search for Kim. Volunteers are still out looking at that time, but now concentrate on where the shirt had been found within the two-mile radius of the boy's home. Quotes from volunteers indicate they may have been expanding the search even further. On this same day, the FBI announced they suspect that Kim had been kidnapped and was not in the state. However, they would not elaborate on why they thought this. Special Agent Marjorie Pochet said, quote, Something we discovered here has led us to conduct our investigations out of state. We have agents assigned to the case. We are continuing to assist the Garland police, and we have nothing new to report, end quote. When Rudolph heard about this, he had lost hope, thinking that his son is not even here anymore. Yet the volunteers never gave up hope and continued the search with or without the comments from the agent Marjorie Pochet. On that same day, a 5000 reward was offered in the case and the money was donated by Joe Bellino, a Dallas lawyer who frequently represents Vietnamese families. Quote, I'll pay it regardless of who finds him, end quote. Bellino believed the child was kidnapped. Garland police still classify the disappearance as a missing persons case. Rudolph has yet to return to work and has not slept or ate. Sarah Wen weeps uncontrollably and screams, thinking about her lost child. Rudolph tries to keep her out of the house, away from anything that will remind her of Kim. Rudolph also believes that his son was kidnapped. The situation affects the children too because when they are not distracted, they ask questions and start crying for their lost sibling. The kids have their friends over and that encourages them to play to distract them even more at this time. By Friday, July 23rd, the search continued with about 75 volunteers. Some of these volunteers even went to lengths of wading through muddy creek water, crawling through sewer tunnels, and climbing over concrete silos. Other concerned families, like Roger and Nancy Thompson, had cooked food and brought it to the winds daily. They also handed out about 3,000 flyers, and they were the ones that started the t-shirts and buttons to be made. Mr. Thompson is quoted, After nine hours of working in construction, I come over with my wife and help out another five hours. 
It's like working two jobs, end quote. By Sunday, July 25th, 15 local Vietnamese leaders distributed 350 t-shirts with Kim Wen's face. The Thompson family had started the t-shirt project, but who funded the project has remained anonymous. Monday, July 26th, Larry Rollins, who was the public information officer, had said that on the 24th, they had wanted to search through the weekend, but planned an evaluation on Monday if they could continue searching. However, the police call off the search in this area. They have no clues around the case and now leave the search to volunteers. One of the volunteers, Kirsty Parrott, was quoted, When we all go home at night, we say we hope you don't have to see one another tomorrow. That would mean that the boy has been found. End quote. By July 29th, Thursday, 6.20 p.m., a nude body was discovered by two young boys walking near Interstate 635 and U.S. 80, which is 10 to 12 miles from the family home. The location is a mile southwest of Town East Mall in a mesquite field with three-foot-tall Johnson grass. The body was found three and a half to four feet into the Johnson grass, several yards from a dead-end concrete road into the lot from the I-635 service road. The location had not been part of the focus search area because police did not think the boy could have gone that far alone. This tips the police to believe in the foul play theory more since it was unlikely a nude 8-year-old boy could walk 10 miles without anyone seeing him. Mesquite police who were contacted by the two boys began investigating the body and area where it had been found. The department stated that the body had probably been in the field since the day he disappeared and that the time and cause of death were unknown. While there wasn't a completely positive identification on this body, the Dallas County Medical Examiner Office also said they had tentatively identified the body as Kim's. One of their field agents identified as Robert Breckenridge stated that they would begin an examination on the 30th of July. Word spread quickly and the people clogged the service road and Highway 80 exit to get a glimpse of the situation. As a result, one man was arrested for several traffic violation charges, including refusal to move his car off the service road because he had stopped to watch the investigation. It would be pretty interesting to get the name of that person. That's just my opinion. Tired, angry, and sad volunteers did not take the news well. They had all been hoping the boy was alive and well. Instead, the group vowed to start a new search for the killer. Rudolph Wynn was searching for his son when he was called to meet his wife Sarah and his other children at the police station around 8 p.m. to get the dreaded news. The press talks to Rudolph later at home while he sits on the back porch swing, crying. Quote, now that I know he's dead, I can go on. I just want to live my life to help people like him. End quote. Rudolph had not been eating or sleeping because he couldn't stop thinking about his son, who was probably thirsty, hungry, and scared. Michael, the older brother, joined his father on the porch and Rudolph told him to be strong. 
Sarah cried inside the house, managing a few words for the volunteers. Quote, he couldn't communicate. He was a helpless little boy, but he knew how to love me. He would take my hand whenever he wanted something. Sarah Wynn said as she clutched her son's photo to her chest. The autopsy report is public information in Dallas. I don't want to get into details on exactly how, what type of information that was identified in the autopsy report, but I want to give you the gist of what was identified. The remains were described as being extremely decomposed. Gender initially was undeterminable, but the remains were ultimately identified as Kim Wen. Mesquite probably ID'd the body as Kim via dental records, which they requested the day of the autopsy, according to Dallas Morning News articles. Both departments stated that the cause of death was homicide, although the exact type was undeterminable. Garland Police Chief Terry Hensley held a press conference for several area news stations on the 31st of July. He would not comment on whether police found any physical evidence near the body, such as blood, tire tracks, or footprints. He also refused to say whether the body had any cuts or bruises. This was probably to keep the investigation from being compromised. People were encouraged to call information in, regardless how trivial. At the news conference, many volunteers arrived wearing t-shirts. In addition, police have no suspects or motives, and they ask residents for help. Rudolph was angry but not vengeful at his son's killer. Quote, I had hoped that because he was a handicapped boy, that they wouldn't kill him. End quote. Rudolph shook with emotion when talking to the news. Rudolph felt fortunate that they had found his son's body. He no longer worries if his son is hungry or thirsty. Some have taken issue that Rudolph's choice of words or viewpoint on a situation, but I would like to point out that English was not his first language and that he is a first-generation immigrant to America. And the cultural language barriers would make it difficult to express grief. Rudolph thanks the police, the FBI, and the strangers for helping with the night and day search for his son. It was even identified that people from 70 miles away came to help from Fort Worth and Arlington, Texas. Garland Mayor Bob Smith was quoted, Whoever did it, they have messed with the wrong city and they will pay for the crime. End quote. By Monday, August 2nd, 1993, this marked the funeral services of Kim Wen. There was a large service and police still had zero answers as to who murdered Kim. He was laid to rest in the Garland Memorial Park, Garland, Texas. His tombstone has his favorite cartoon character etched, the Pink Panther, with the words, With all my love to my son Kim, rest in peace. Many didn't personally know the boy, but they sacrificed hours, days, and work to search for him. Several volunteers commented on how they continue to search for the killer. A month goes by, and Kim's case was briefly mentioned in an article about a six-year-old girl named Morgan Luttrell who wandered from her home. Thankfully, she was located just a mile from her home by a neighbor. But days continued to pass without any updates in the case. It seemed to have grown cold more and more with each passing day. That is until September 6, a girl named Ashley Estelle 
This, the case would ultimately be overshadowed by another tragedy, the kidnapping of Ashley Estelle in Plano, just north of Garland in September. While Plano PD and Garland PD met to discuss whether the initial suspect in Ashley's case, Michael Blair, had any involvement in Kim's case. This morning, there is new hope another child murder case could soon be closed. The parents of Kim Nguyen believe the Plano murder suspect might also have taken their autistic son's life. More from Channel 8's Bill Brown. The poster is tattered and fading now, out in front of the Nguyen family's house. A sad sign of an investigation stalled after a frustrating month and a half. In mid-July, the Nguyen's autistic eight-year-old son, Kim, wandered away and disappeared. After a massive search, 11 days later, his body was found in Mesquite. His killer is still free. Michael Blair, the man accused of killing young Ashley Estelle, continues to talk... For to an anguished father, the arrest in the Plano child murder offers some hope. Hope for any answers about who stole the life of his child. As he works on watches in his shop, Kim's dad, Rudy Nguyen, watches every newscast, scans every newspaper for clues that Michael Blair, the Plano murder suspect, could be the same man who took and then killed his helpless little boy. I say, God, the way they throw her body and the way, uh, I think it is similar, uh, exactly like what they do to my son. Uh, they kidnap her and they uh, throw her on the field and it's the same way and the way they kill her and no nap, no gun, sort and, and they just, you know, harm her like that. I think it's the same thing with my son. Ashley Estelle was strangled. Nguyen says an FBI agent told him Kim may have been strangled. Due to the decomposition of the body, police say, they could never be sure. Garland officers say coverage of Blair's arrest is giving new life to their waning investigation. Many people now calling them, offering information, anything that could help. They say so far, they really have nothing to link the suspect in Plano to the Garland murder. But they're working with Plano officers, and they plan to question Michael Blair soon. Meanwhile, a grieving dad will not give up. He still passes out bumper stickers and posters to people with his little boy's picture on them. I have the right to know what happened and the time he uh, two months passed away. I hope uh, he is the one to kill my son too. I don't want it to happen for another child. Bill Brown, Channel 8 News, Garland. On September 14, Plano police officers arrested a 23-year-old male by the name of Michael Blair at a Motel 6 on North Central Expressway in Plano. Blair, who officers stopped four days earlier as he drove near the site where the child's body, Kim Wen, was found surrendered without incident. As the arrest of Blair in the apparent murder of Ashley made headlines, Mesquite police detectives immediately contacted the Plano Police Department with the information that Blair was spotted watching their department's investigation after the discovery of Kim's remains. The article mentions a link between the case, so I will have that in the show notes. If you want to learn more about Ashley Estelle, I will have Kanan's Reddit blog link in the show notes. And as September would pass, as coverage shifted focus from lack of any new information in Kim's case to the arrest of Michael Blair and his subsequent trial, October would pass mostly without mention. Without any suspects, leads, or even a cause of death, there was little to discuss that already hadn't been in Kim's case. And the Wynn family feared that it would always be that way. Rudolph vented his frustration, saying, Police keep saying something that will come up, but I honestly don't believe them. I'm still very hurt. 
and I hurt even more because I don't know who did this. That same month, Garland installed two metal signs at the corner where, the, where Kim disappeared, each facing the lane of traffic on Castle Drive at Thornhill Lane. The printing is stark red on white. The material is as permanent as a stop sign. The message read, quote, On 7-1893, Kim Wen was abducted from this location and murdered. If you have any information on this offense, please call 205-2086, end quote. At the request of the Garland Police Family Violence Unit, the Texas Transportation Department also erected similar signs where Kim's body was found in Mesquite. On January 6 of 1994, the Garland Police Determined Department noticed that the sign on Castle Drive was gone. When a department contacted Mesquite, that department also reported that their signs were gone as well. It's a bit sad that residents of Castle Drive failed to inform the police that their sign was missing, but there may be an explanation as to why. A Garland detective named McDonald said that he suspected that someone trying to sell a home removed the Garland sign, which some people in the Wentz neighborhood considered a blight. However, it has never resurfaced. I don't understand why it wasn't turned over to the department either. This theory did not explain why the Mesquite sign vanished. There has been speculations that developers removed it, but again, why not return it to the department if that's the case? Kim's father, Rudolph, on the other hand, believed that whoever killed his son took down those signs. Either way, residents were mixed on the sign's whereabouts. Some were glad that they were gone, while others were angry. Garland police stated that at the time they were not planning to replace the signs. Mesquite did not replace theirs either. This is where the coverage ends on the case outside of the brief mentions of the anniversary of the disappearance. Mr. Wen kept his son's room as it was, except for taking out the furniture and adding photos. The older son, Michael, has moved out of the room as well. The furniture was removed because Kim did not like it. Rudolph retreats to the room to grieve. He still roams the area streets in his car with the camera looking for anything suspicious. If he finds anything, he calls 911. It comforts him more than counseling. Another article wouldn't be featured on this case until the one anniversary when the Dallas Morning News featured this segment about Kim. On July 17th, journalist once again sat with Rudolph Wen and his family at their home on Thornhill Lane, marking a year since Kim vanished. It had been a year of tears and pain for the Wen family. The family's world shattered, and a major piece was missing. Rudolph continued, I hope he's not forgotten. I tell my son and daughter that he is in heaven. Let him rest, End quote. Rudolph also spoke of his wife, Sarah, who rarely talked about her son's murder. Rudolph continued, My wife, she's angry and it's hard for her to talk about it. I know when she's alone, in her room, she's thinking about him. Garland Police spokesman Steve Matlick said that the file on Kim Slane would remain open until the crime is solved. Quote, If it is never solved, it will never be closed. We don't ever forget. End quote. Although it seems like they have. Acquaintances 
of the Wen family asked Garland police officers and residents of both Garland and Mesquite to remember Kim by wearing a pink ribbon or around trees during that July. Neighbor Nancy Thompson said, quote, I don't want this month to go by without an acknowledgement of Kim. He was an eight-year-old boy who did not deserve to be taken from his family, end quote. In a final follow-up interview, Mr. Wen, in regards to his son's murder, once more asked, quote, he could not speak. He could not tell anyone what happened to him. So why didn't they bring him back home? Why did they have to murder him? He was a happy, loving boy. He was friendly. He loved everyone. He would have walked right up to a car. End quote. Things would slow down as the anniversary came and went. Coverage would all but cease for the rest of 1994. 1995 would see the second anniversary go without mention by any local newspapers. The tragedy left an indelible mark on the Wen family's daily lives. Mr. Wen had gone back to working 14 hours a day in his clock shop. That summer, he had quit working to care for his family. Rudolph said to his other children, Michael and Janmi, they had altered their behavior slightly since their brother disappeared. Quote, instead of watching cartoons, they watched the news constantly and TV shows such as America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries, end quote. Coverage and references of the case all but ceased on July 8th, not even during the trial of Ashley Estelle. Michael Blair was tried, convicted, and then later... His conviction overturned for the abduction and murder of Ashley. The aftermath of his acquittal? Nothing. No evidence has ever pursued. And not one person from law enforcement bothered to take another look at the evidence from either case. Evidence which could lead to new suspects, new theories in the case, or potentially solve this case. In the passing years, time has marched on. Kim's family have never moved from where they previously lived. His parents retired, and both of his siblings have grown up and moved on with their own lives. Kim will always remain frozen in time as a sweet eight-year-old boy who loved the Pink Panther, a child whose life was stolen. The neighborhood has changed over time. The signs calling for information regarding Kim's disappearance are gone and his case has been virtually forgotten. As time passes, memory fades, but the need for justice remains, and we have to pursue justice for those who were unable to do it for themselves. A large pecan tree which stands next to the last place Kim stood remains as a reminder. If this pecan tree could talk, would she speak? What could she tell us? There's a chance to bring justice to this case and more eyes to it, even if justice seems out of their reach. Some encouraging news, some new information may have been gained by the Garland Police Department. However, I'm unsure of what they'll do with it. The need for justice is paramount to those left behind. This is a quote from an interview with an undisclosed family representative. For me, it would mean finally being able to lift a little weight off of me. I go through life thinking about what could have been. I get angry knowing who did this is pretty much getting away with it. And who knows how many victims there could be with this person. I can't look at his picture most times because I feel like we failed him. I wish for closure. 
justice and for this person to get off the street so they cannot hurt anyone else, end quote. Kim is the missing boy. He may have been found and long since buried, but there's an element of loss that can be felt in the city of Garland, an innocence loss that will never be fully regained by ensuring that law enforcement keeps its promise. Cannon created a petition. If you'd like to sign this petition, we would greatly appreciate it, and share of it would be greatly appreciated as well. I will have the petition link in the show notes. We are voiceless no more. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.